Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. know where we are in scriptures. We're in Philippians chapter 4 this morning as we continue our series in Philippians. As you open up your Bible there, how many of you guys were here last week Sunday for our Thanksgiving, Bri? Wasn't that just a glorious, glorious day? You almost had enough faith. I think we held off the rain. There was a brief moment of faith lapse where it rained for a few moments and and then then it stopped again. And, and at about 3 o'clock, 3.15, that was when I think our our faith ran dry. <laughs> but wasn't that just uh, so kind of the Lord to hold off the rain that we could have our, our celebration? I think it was like over 200 kilograms of meat we bride. It was a big bry. <laughs> we called it a big bry because it was a big bry. It was just so good hanging out, spending time with, with one another and just being, being family, giving thanks to the Lord. Next week, Sunday, John and Lisa are back. That's going to be fun. So we'll see them back in the building. We've missed them, and so looking forward to, to them being in, in the building with us again. All right, I think I've given you plenty of time to find Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 9. If you weren't here last week, Sunday, what we covered was we spoke about our heavenly rewards. Remember the rope, that, that just our time on earth is this teeny little piece of eternity, but the way that we live on earth determines our rewards for the rest of eternity. And so it's so important that we live with eternity as mind, with eternity in mind, because we are heavenly citizens now. So let's carry on reading here, because it starts with a therefore, and so you need to know what the therefore is there for, and that's why I told you what we did last week. <clears throat> therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to stop over there. This is just an outstanding passage of Scripture, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. I absolutely love these verses, and so I've been looking forward to this Sunday since we started Philippians a couple months back, um, because it's just a beautiful and powerful passage of Scripture. We're going to go ahead and read those first three verses again. Uh, I think you guys know the routine by now. We'll then unpack that. We'll then go on to the next couple of verses and uh, see what the Lord is saying to us. 
So let's read verse 1 to 3 again. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I plead with you, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So we're going to look here a little bit about what Paul's writing as, as we start to bring this letter to a close. And he's writing here about a united pursuit. He's talking about unity and he's, he's talking about seeking the Lord. And so he, he's talking about standing firm in the Lord. Now we see this uh, throughout this, uh, this whole book of Philippians that we're encouraged to stand firm. And he starts this by saying, I love you. I mean, so we, we're seeing the, the power, the authority, the anointing upon, upon Paul, but we're also seeing the compassion and the genuine love that he has for the church. He's got a genuine, genuine love for the bride, the body of Christ. And he's telling them how much he loves them. But with that, he's encouraging them on to greater things. And so he's saying, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. See, he's saying this in the context of what we covered last week, that there are rewards that are out of this world, heavenly rewards. The way that we live now on earth determines the rest of eternity and how we will live in eternity. And so he's saying with that in mind, may that be a source of encouragement to you to stand firm in the Lord. So he's saying don't, don't waver, don't be weak, but but, but look ahead, don't look backwards. Remember what we covered last week? Forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. As you grab hold, as you take hold of Jesus, stand firm knowing that what you do now has eternal consequence. He's encouraging us to be strong in the Lord. A couple months back when we started chapter 1, verse 27, we were told, uh, we read in, in, in Philippians 1, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus, that we would live a life worthy of Jesus. This is speaking about our strength in our relationship with the Lord, that we will be strong, that we will stand firm. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 14 as well, another famous passage of Scripture talking about the armor of God. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. And it carries on. <clears throat> See, as Christians, we need to stand firm. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to know Jesus. We need to be secure in our relationship with Him. That when evil forces come against us, we know that we've got a heavenly God fighting for us. Remember we sang earlier? I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. And so knowing who we are, knowing that we're in a company where there's safety, knowing we're in the family of God, that we're sons, that we're daughters, we get to stand firm in the Lord. There's a strength that we have in Him, knowing that He's got us. We're under His wings. He's got us covered. We're safe. So the next thing is Paul now encourages unity. Again, we see this in chapter 1, verse 27. Stand firm in one spirit, striving together 
as one. This is what we as the church are supposed to do. We're supposed to be striving together as one, a united front, a united pursuit of the Lord. If we go back to Philippians chapter 2, you see, what, what's happening is Paul's starting to bring all of the concepts he's been, been writing about in the whole letter, and he's starting to bring them all together. It's kind of like the whole book is working its way towards these verses as he's now summarizing all the things as he's been covering. Let's go back and look at Philippians 2, verse 2 to 5. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, unity, having the same love, being one in spirit, unity, and of one mind, unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Unity. So what's happening now is there's some form of a, a spat taking place between these two ladies in the church. That doesn't happen. I mean, this is... This is an anomaly over here that the scriptures, I think that's why, why Paul writes about it, because there's this anomaly where there's, there's a spat within the church and, uh, and two ladies having a, having a disagreement. I mean, that doesn't happen. <clears throat> not in the modern world, no. Maybe, maybe 2,000 years ago, but not now. So there's some form of disagreement. There's something going on. I find it interesting that Paul found it so important that unity was such a key factor that he raises a spat between two people publicly. Because this is not a letter to the leaders. This is a letter to the church. This is a letter to the whole body. This is the equivalent of a letter to, to Breakthrough Life Church or even a letter to the church in Johannesburg. That's the equivalent of what, what Paul would be writing to. And so, I mean, imagine if, if Moses and Chris were having... A, a bit of a spat. They were in, you know, knocking heads. And then when John's back, instead of taking them into a, a private time in a counseling room to say, hey, let's work, let's work through this, guys. What's going on? No, he stands up on a Sunday and he says, Chris, Moses, sort out your nonsense. I urge you, I encourage you to be united and to be of the same mind, and to work together in the Lord Jesus. Now, now what's happening in this situation is, is Paul's just made these two ladies accountable to the whole body because they've been addressed publicly to sort out their spat, their disagreement. So now the whole church knows that, well, hey, Paul's called you out on your, your sin, your lack of unity, your whatever it is. You're now responsible to steward and to do something with the word of the Lord that's come from Paul. See, if it's in private, then it can stay in private and, well, no one really knows. But I find it so interesting that, that Paul values unity so much that he raises this in a public forum. Maybe we should start doing that. <laughs> Next week, Sunday, instead of uh, Getting into the Word, we'll, we'll go through all of the connect groups and we'll raise all of the disagreements between people within the congregation. Keep us all accountable to uh, journey and walk together in unity because it's so important. See, it's not about you in that moment. It's about the collective body. It's about the, the, the unity of the whole. It's not about one individual. 
You see, when there's lack of unity between two individuals, between two members, it impacts the whole body. We see this in the Scripture. That when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. So when one part of the body is, is missing unity, well, it has an impact on the whole body. And so I think that's why Paul raises it publicly, because this thing needs to be sorted out. So breakthrough. Next time I hear about lack of unity, you might hear about it on a Sunday morning with all of us. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So not only does he raise it publicly, but then he also calls upon leadership. He calls upon leadership and he says, you guys need to help intervene in this situation. You need to help to bring unity where there's this disagreement. And so that's part of the role of leadership as well, is to help steward and foster unity within the body. And as I said last week, we're all leaders. We're all leaders in the body. We're all growing and maturing to become leaders if you're not in a formal leadership role. The goal is that as we move forward in the Lord, that we will continue to grow up, to mature, to strengthen ourselves, to stand firm, to be found in Him, that we'll gain Christ, that we'll take hold of Him. You're remembering some of these phrases from the book of Philippians. That as we do all of this, that we will grow and mature to become leaders. But that's part of the role that we have, is to, to help steward unity within the body. It's a big deal. It really is a big deal, unity amongst us. And so that's why I think the, the devil comes and he attacks at the unity thing time and time and time again. And then we, we, we take on offense and we get hurt. And then we walk out the door to find another church where we're not offended until someone steps on your toes and then we get offended again and move down to the next church and Oh, come on, man. Imagine if, imagine if the first time one of your family members, I mean, like, we'll talk to the parents. Imagine if the first time one of your kids got offended with you. They're like, okay, I'm out the door. See you guys. <laughs> We're at my planker Friday or Thursday morning doing, uh, doing our food drop and just praying for the people, blessing them, giving out toys, clothes. It was, a, it was a wonderful time just to bless the community and um, there's a long queue of people waiting in line to, to get their clothes, and, and I'm there with Moses, and, um, and there's this little boy, and he's crying, crying, crying. I say, Moses, what's wrong? What, what's up with the boy? Moses says, no, you got a smack. Okay. It's <laughs> a good reason to be crying, getting some discipline from mom or dad. Imagine if that boy said, well, I'm offended now. I'm only two years old, but I'm out of here. See you, mom and dad. Out the door. But that's how we behave in the church. It is. We take on offense. We get offended. And then we, we, we just exit. Unity is such an important thing. And it's the, one of the things that the enemy comes and he attacks and he knocks on. Because it's so valuable in the kingdom. And so it's something that we need to be aware of. It's something that we need to look after. It's something that we need to protect. Because it's valuable. It's important. We carry on here and we go down to... Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. We're going to read verse 47. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is beautiful scripture. See, Paul's encouraged us to stand firm. He's encouraged us to have unity. But predominantly on the stand firm thing, Paul's now giving us some tools on how do we stand firm? What do we do to stand firm? Is it just like, all right, well, I just, I concrete my feet into the soil so that I will stand and when the wind blows, I'll be able to get back up and, you know, I'm just going to be stuck and that's how I'll stand firm. It's like, no, there's things that we have to do. There's things that we are invited to do and uh, the, the scriptures are giving us some handlebars here on how to stand firm. And the first thing is to rejoice. 16 times in the book of Philippians, Paul references to be glad, to have joy, to rejoice. It's a lot of times in one letter to the same group of people. 16 times he's talking about joy, rejoicing. See, this also, just as unity is a big deal, rejoicing and having joy is also a really big deal. See, rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Oh, that's a challenging verse right there. Because maybe when your boss has just told you off for something that you didn't even do and you're feeling a bit grumpy, you don't feel like rejoicing in that moment, do you? Maybe when your, your child has just bluntly disobeyed you, you don't feel like rejoicing in that moment, do you? Perhaps in a moment of, of grief, of loss. I can tell you the last thing you feel like doing in that moment is rejoicing. This is a challenging verse. This invitation for us to rejoice always, in all things, in every situation... Oh, Lord, I I don't know about you guys, but I can't do that in my own strength. Holy Spirit, help me. Because I can only do this with your strength. But as we ask Holy Spirit to help us, we also take intentional steps to say, I want to be joyful. I want to rejoice in all circumstance. Every day that, that I will be filled with joy, that I will rejoice. See, Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 tells us that the strength of the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the strength of the Lord is also your joy. (laughs) Joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, we get strengthened by joy. I think that's why Paul's on about this thing so much. Rejoice, be glad, have joy. Because we get strengthened when we position ourselves, when we posture ourselves to rejoice and to be glad. And so if we're going to stand firm, we need the strength of the Lord. We need joy. It's also a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. See, when we're living a life in the Spirit, we're fruitful. And one of those fruits on the tree is joy. That means that, that each one of our lives should have joy as a fruit that we wear. Am I challenging anyone other than myself? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Oh, this is good. You see, happiness depends upon what happens. 
Joy depends upon your position and your posture within the Lord. You see, joy is not circumstantial. Happiness is circumstantial. But joy is not. Joy is dependent upon your position in Christ. See, as we position ourselves intentionally to say, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be found in Him. I'm going to gain Christ. That the oil of gladness will be my portion. Just like it is with Jesus. You see, when we're found in Him, then we have joy like He had. This is speaking about intimacy. As we're, as we're holding on to Him, as we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's in that place that we find joy, that we find the ability to rejoice in all circumstance. Verse 5 then speaks about gentleness. This is an intriguing word over here, and it's not one that's easy to translate. And so if we look at different translations, well, let me first give you the context here. Verse number five, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. So the NIV translates this word as, as gentleness. If we look at the ESV, English Standard Version, it uses the word reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. If we look at the ASV, it says, let your forbearance be evident to all. And so this word is not an easy word to, to be translated from the, the Greek into English because it's not a direct word. But, but what this word is speaking of, this is challenging stuff. It's speaking about a life of, of moderation. It's speaking about refraining from enforcing your right against someone else. That's what it's speaking about here. Let your gentleness be evident to all. So that means that perhaps someone wrongs you. Maybe someone wrongs you in business. Maybe someone wrongs you relationally. Maybe they offend you. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they step on your toes. They say something ugly to you. Uh, maybe someone steals from you. They, they, they harm you. Whatever it might be. That your gentleness your forbearance, your reasonableness. It looks like not applying an earthly form of justice. You see, Jesus suffered on the cross for no wrongdoing of his own. That's kind of what this is talking about here. Yeah? that this forbearance, this gentleness that we will wear, that we're kind of okay with some form of loss, suffering against ourselves for the benefit of someone else. Just what Jesus did. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, this, the Lord is near. This is kind of this twofold thing. It's that Jesus is coming back, and so make sure that you're living right with him and that you're living a life of gentleness, of forbearance, that you're reasonable. He's coming back. That's the one, the one meaning. But the other meaning is that, well, he's here right now. And so he's near, and he's near to help you because he knows what it is to be punished for a wrongdoing that is not your own wrongdoing. If anyone in the world understands this, Jesus does. 
And so he's saying he's near and he's there to help you and to guide you and to be with you as you demonstrate your gentleness in the midst of potentially a very difficult situation, whether it be business, whether it be friendship, whether it be relationships, whether it be unity within the church. Imagine if everyone demonstrated this form of gentleness towards one another. See, Paul's speaking of a godly self-restraint. Self-restraint towards those who've hurt you, offended you. That the, the worldly justice thing is, but this is what I'm owed. This is what's due to me. But a self-restraint, a gentleness, that they might be blessed. See, I think this is one of the ways that we live and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Verse number six, freedom from anxiety. To not be anxious about anything. It just keeps going deeper and deeper. <laughs> to not be anxious about anything. What, what Paul is saying is he's simply saying just refuse to partner with anxiety. When anxiety comes knocking on your door, refuse to open the door. Just do not partner with it. Do not allow it. Do not, do not accept it. Just refuse anxiety. Give it no influence in your life. Because there's a battlefield in your mind. There's a war over your thoughts. There's a war over the, the, the peace that the Lord wants you to have and that the devil doesn't want you to have. And so there's this war over your anxiety. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we protecting our peace? Or when anxiety knocks on the door, do we just open up? Oh, look at the load shedding schedule again. I'm not, what are, how are we going to prepare food now? Because it was supposed to be then, and now it's now, and blah, 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 blah. And to not be anxious about anything, but in... Certain particular situations, no, in every situation, what should you do? Pray. But let's just talk about every situation. I love uh, the ministry of Stephen Wendy Backland, and he, he's a carrier of hope. And he has this saying, he says that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation, only a hopeless person. And so when you find yourself facing a hopeless situation, know that in the Lord there is hope for that situation. It's only hopeless if you are hopeless. But if you can find hope in the Lord for that situation, there is hope for that situation because our God, our Father, our, our Dad in heaven, He has the solution to that situation that's confronting you. There is always a solution. There is always hope. There's no such thing as a hopeless situation. And so in every situation, when anxiety comes knocking on the door, don't allow it. Don't accept it. Shut that door. And how do you shut that door? By praying. In every situation, pray. Find hope in the Lord. Seek Him and say, Jesus, I need you in this situation. When you're feeling hopeless, pray. Say, Jesus, I need your intervention in this situation. 
And if the situation is something that you caused because you made a mistake, then it's quite simple. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and then find hope for that situation. And if it's a situation that was just a consequence of someone else and you find yourself in this hopeless situation, what do you do? You pray. Jesus, help me to find hope for this thing that seems hopeless. Help me to find hope in you. It says that it's not just about prayer, but it's about supplication as well. I'll tell you a quick story. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Philippa was having some, some downtime, my wife, and so I was entertaining the girls, and so I thought, well, let's bake a cake. I, I don't often cook. <laughs> Baking is a little bit easier for me because it's very easy to just follow the instructions. And there's a way that dad can bond with his girls and love spending time with them, and so we're baking a cake, a chocolate cake. But I'm, I'm, I'm a, I aim high. That's what I do in life. I aim high. And so I don't go for like the basic, simple mix and bake, throw it all in the thing, blend it, you know, put it in the oven and you got a cake. No, I, I aim high. So I've got this pretty complex recipe. I've never cooked it before. I've never baked it. And so getting all the ingredients and every five minutes I send my oldest Sarah to, to go to the kitchen, go and ask mom, have we got this ingredient? Have we got that ingredient? My poor wife, who's supposed to be resting, I think is getting irritated because she's getting disturbed every few minutes. Mom, have we got this? Mom, where can Dad find that? Mom, where's this? See, I'm seldomly in the kitchen. My wife is an amazing cook, and so she does 90% of the cooking. That's a lie. 99% of the cooking. <laughs> I make breakfast. <laughs> anyway, we're baking the cake. We've got all the ingredients. We're following the instructions. And if you've ever baked with a, a six-year-old and a four-year-old, it's a little bit interesting. And so I got this one doing that and this one doing this, and it's chaos in the kitchen. And, and I, we're making headway. And then I realize at one point, I'm like, oh, no. I read, the, I read the, the recipe and the instructions. And I'm like, I missed, I, I missed an absolutely crucial step in the whole equation over here. I forget exactly what it was, but I, I think you were supposed to beat the yolks and then the whites and then do this and then add and then fold and, and I just hoid it all in the bowl and <laughs> happily going away. And as I read this, I say, oh no, we have a problem. My girls are excited to have chocolate cake. Dad, what's the problem? I made a mistake, girls. Pray. Now, Sarah didn't think this was funny, and neither did Lucy. They get off their workstations, and they get in the kitchen, and they grab hands, and they pray earnestly, like I've never seen them pray before. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're going to fix this cake. Thank you that you're going to make it delicious. Thank you that you're going to work it all together for good. They're praying. All we can do now is hope. Cake gets cooked, comes out the oven, gets iced. It was the most delicious chocolate cake I've had all year. I once heard of a, a children's cookbook by Winnie the Pooh. It was titled Cooking with Pooh. I thought I'm going to write my own book, Baking with Prayer. 
Don't worry about the instructions, just pray. What reminded me of this story was yesterday, I baked a cake with my girls as well. And uh, in the oven, the cake was expanding a little bit too much that it was overflowing. This is not the type of overflow you want when you're baking. And so Sarah sees it in the oven and she says, oh no, Dad, I think we need to pray again. (laughs) Let's pray, Sarah, let's pray. We prayed and uh, we had delicious cake yesterday. Telling you, it's going to be a hit, baking with prayer. <laughs> you see, in every situation, there's an invitation for us to seek Him and to pray. Whether it's a mundane thing, spending time with your family and a silly little thing goes wrong, oh, Jesus, help. Help my idiot dad who doesn't know what he's doing and let us have delicious, delicious chocolate cake. Or whether it's a very serious thing in all things. We get to pray. Jesus, we need you. And it carries on here with, with prayer and petition. I like the, the, the ESV translation, with prayer and with supplication. Speaking, speaking about humbly, earnestly asking. Oh man, my girls, they were praying prayers of supplication for our chocolate cake. They were humbly, earnestly asking because they knew that cake didn't stand a chance in Dad's hands alone. (laughs) But it's this humbly, earnestly asking, this, this pleading with the Lord, Lord, we need you. Come and intervene. You see, as we're rejoicing, as we're living a life of gentleness, as we're saying no to anxiety and as we're we're lifting up prayers and supplications in every situation. You know, there's almost this, this flow. It starts with joy and rejoicing. What's the next step? Gentleness, forbearance. And then it carries on, that we say no to anxiety. You see, if we, if we don't have joy, it's difficult to be thankful. Anyone seen a thankful person without joy or a joyous person without thanks? It's like, no, they go hand in hand. If you're not rejoicing, you're not going to be thankful. It starts by rejoicing. Find something to rejoice about. Find something to say thank you to the Lord for. There's always reason to give thanks. You see, these these tools, rejoicing, gentleness, saying no to anxiety, lifting up prayers and supplication, these are the root system of our lives. They're often unseen. They're kind of like a tree. The, The root system determines the health of the tree. And if these things are absent in your life, well, then the fruit of the Spirit is going to be absent in your life as well. See, these, these fun, foundational, fundamental things, they're like the roots, the spiritual roots in your life, helping you to grow, to become healthy, to become fruitful. See, as we do all of these things, there's now a promise. There's a very important word in the Scriptures here. It says, and... Because when we do all of these things, that and means that something comes to us. 
It says, and the peace of God. Let me read it. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, one of the primary fruits of rejoicing, living a life of gentleness, of saying no to anxiety, is that we receive peace. A heavenly peace. And I think one of our biggest struggles in life is that we want, we want to understand everything. But this peace that comes is beyond your understanding. It transcends your understanding. We have to realize that God is big. He's much bigger than your brain. I mean, think for a moment. If you could fully understand and comprehend all of who God is, well, that would make God smaller than your brain. I don't want to serve that kind of a God. He's so much bigger than my brain. He's so much bigger than your brain. He's so much bigger than our collective brain capacity. There are things that we're not going to understand. And there's a peace from him which is beyond your understanding. It transcends. It's above. And so you have to just let go of your desire to understand it sometimes and just receive the gift of peace. Receive his heavenly peace that he wants to give you. And then it says something crazy. This peace guards your hearts and your minds. Now that word guard is a military term. Remember we sang earlier, raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. Well, as we rejoice, as we live a life of gentleness, as we say no to anxiety, as we lift up every situation that might cause anxiety with prayer and supplication, there's a peace that comes, and that peace that comes guards your heart and your mind, and that is a military protection of your thinking, of your mind, and of your heart. That word can also be used, guard, to, it can be translated as um, to hold off a hostile invasion to protect against hostile invasion. You see, the devil and the enemies of, dark, of, of darkness, the forces of darkness, they want to come and invade your heart and your mind. They want to come and whisper lies. They want to come and tell you, um, you know, deception. They want to lead you astray. And how does, the, how, does, how does darkness do that? It comes and attacks your, your thinking and your mind. See, we're seeing this as a trend in the Scriptures as well. We're going to touch on that now as, as our, our thinking and our, our minds are so important. The devil comes and he, he attacks us in our minds. When we have the peace of God, it guards, protects, military protection, your mind, your heart. Now, how much sickness in the world is caused by mind and heart? Stress, hypertension, heart attacks often, so much sickness, physical sickness. We call it psychosomatic disease, mind-induced body sickness. Yes, your body responds to what's happening in your mind. I mean, just think about when you're in a stressful situation. You're going to do a big presentation at work. You're going to play a big sports game. You're going to do whatever it is, and you're in a stressful situation. And what happens? You start sweating. Your hands get clammy. Your heartbeat starts racing. You get butterflies in your stomach. What is happening? You're getting a physical response to an internal posture called stress. Your physical body is responding to what's happening internally. 
You see, this can cause sickness. Now, your body is naturally designed to have reactions to what's happening internally. But when we live in that way all the time and our, our thinking is, is unhealthy, well, when your thinking is continually unhealthy, well, then your body becomes unhealthy. Hypertension, stress, all can be sorted out by the peace of God. Protects your heart and your mind. See, the peace of God is not just there to protect your heart and your mind, but it's also there to rule in your life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now again, that word rule can also be translated as umpire. In a sports game, what happens if the, if the umpire is absent? Well, chaos. I know in rugby we call it a referee, but just similar principle. Imagine if the World Cup final had no referee. I mean, I'd, I'd give it a moments or minutes before it's just a full-on fist fight. Boxing took over. It's no longer rugby. It's now boxing. MMA style. I mean, it would be absolute pandemonium. It would be chaos. See, the referee is there to bring order. See, the peace of God is there to bring order. It's the same word. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That means that the peace of God brings order in your life. It helps you to know, just like a tennis umpire, that that shot was in or it was out. As you're making decisions before the Lord, you're holding up two things. Well, let the peace of Christ rule. Is this a good decision or a bad decision? I've got peace over here. Even though this side looks like more money, it looks like it makes more sense, but I haven't got the peace of Jesus over here. Don't do it then. I've got peace over here. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let it be the umpire in your life. See, peace is not also... Just like joy is not a, a circumstantial state of mind. It's an intentional choice. Peace is not a circumstance as well. It's a state of being. When we're in Him, we find His peace. We receive His peace. And we get peace by doing all of these things. Rejoicing, gentleness, saying no to anxiety, prayer and supplication. And we receive peace. Peace of God is not just a thing that makes you feel good inside and gives you warm fuzzies. It protects your physical well-being. It gives you supernatural divine health. That's powerful. Romans chapter 14 verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. You see, as we rejoice as we live a life of peace, we're expanding the kingdom. Kingdom is flowing through you as we take on these godly attributes. As we start to close, we now talk about godly thinking. Verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. See, as we look to the mind, we see this again as Paul brings this whole letter to, to, to a close. He's, he's touched on the mind so many times. Chapter 1, verse 9, he, he speaks about, may your love abound more and more in knowledge, your mind. Chapter 2, verse 2, my, make my joy complete by being like-minded. May your thinking be the same, your mind. Chapter 2, verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the mind. Chapter 4, verse 2, be of the same mind in the Lord, the mind. And now we've just read in verse 7 that our minds are guarded by the peace of Jesus, peace of God. Now this military protection, what do you normally guard? What, what, what is protected? Valuable things are protected, right? See, the peace of, peace of Jesus is so valuable that something that needs to be military guarded needs to be kept safe internally because it's valuable. It's a valuable resource in the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to protect it. We need to follow the scripture and live a life of obedience that we will get that heavenly guard. And so how do we conquer anxiety? Well, we simply just don't give it any space. You see, when you fill your mind with all of these things, all of these good things, truth, noble things, right things, pure things, lovely things, admirable things, when you fill your mind with excellent and praiseworthy thoughts, when you do all of this, you leave no room for anxiety because your, your, your mind is full. See, it's, it's like this bottle. If, if the air represented negative thoughts and the water represented godly thoughts, if I filled this bottle with godly thoughts, with more water, well, it automatically expels the air and it leaves because there's no more room for it. See, that's what it's like as we fill our minds intentionally with good, godly, wholesome thinking and thoughts. The thoughts of anxiety, of hopelessness, they have no more space and so they get expelled. They leave. You know that your brain has the ability to think about its own thoughts? They say you're crazy if you talk to yourself. I say you're crazy if you don't. <laughs> They've scientifically proven this, that your brain has the ability to think about its own thoughts. Now think about that. <laughs> See, I just made you do it. That means your brain has got the, the built-in design functionality that when you're going down a pathway of negative thinking, your brain has the ability to recognize that thinking thought pattern and say, oh, 
that's not good thinking. Your brain has the ability to then push, push the eject button, stop that, that thought cycle, and say, I'm going to think about good things, about godly things, about excellent things, about praiseworthy things, about noble things, about pure things, about lovely things. I'm going to think about Jesus. It's called renewing your mind. Your brain has the built-in functionality to do that. Not only has your brain got the ability to do that, but you've been given the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to guide you and lead you, and to reveal these things to you. That when we're going down a bad thought cycle, we're able to eject from that, that pathway and change our pathway. It's called repentance. You're able to do it. You see, when you're going down that negative thought cycle, you have the option to embrace it, to choose it, to hold on to it, because the reality is in the moment it probably feels good. It probably feels safe. Because what happens in your mind is you create these, these, these pathways, these neural pathways. It's a little bit like water. If you pour water on the, on the ground, it'll... It'll flow down the path of least resistance. Your brain is similar. When you create these neural pathways, that thought cycle becomes an entrenched thought cycle then, which then leads downward and downward and deeper and deeper. And so when you find yourself going down that negative thought cycle, in the moment it probably feels like the easy thing to do because it's the path of least resistance if you've created that neural pathway in your brain but you have the ability to stop that pathway, to eject from that pathway, and to craft a new neural pathway in your mind, a pathway of hope, of life, of joy, of rejoicing, of thanksgiving, of praise. And as you do that, you create new neural pathways, and that is how you renew your mind. In your own time, go read Psalm 77. Read it in the NIV. First nine verses talk about woe is me. Verse 10 comes along. But then I had a thought. To this I will appeal. The writer's appealing to who? To himself. He's appealing to his own thoughts. The next nine verses, he then writes about everything that is noble, pure, lovely, praiseworthy, excellent. It's how we renew our minds. See, God has given us the tools, the handlebars, to enable us to do this thing called renewing our minds. Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to be intentional about it. You're not a victim of your thoughts. You're the commander of your thoughts. What are you allowing inside? Martin Luther said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. I think that's why the monks had that hairstyle. <laughs> you know, there's some benefits to being bald. Those negative thoughts just bounce off. As Paul brings this thought to a close, he's telling us to be intentional about our thoughts about what happens in our minds. 
Because our thinking needs to then move on to our living. Let me read it. Speaks about all the lovely things, whatever is um, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now he's transitioning. Whatever you have learned, whatever you've received, whatever you've heard or seen in me, put it into practice. Oh, this is challenging. Daryl, you're telling me I can't just come sit at church and listen and agree and say amen and lift my hands and pay a tithe and, you know, all's going to be well with me? It's exactly what I'm saying. So much more than that. What have you heard? What have you seen? What have you received? Take these things and put them into practice. See, the power lies within your hands. On Monday morning when you wake up and that negative neural pathway starts its normal routine in your mind, those thoughts of hopelessness, those thoughts about your manager, about your boss, whatever it might be, when you, when you, when you step back on that train, well, are you putting into practice what you've heard, what you've learned, what you've received? You see, you're powerful. God has made you powerful. And the decisions you make are powerful. God wants you to make powerful decisions that you'll put into practice the things that we learn, the things that we read in the Scriptures. See, because learning, receiving, hearing, all of these things are of little value without doing. The real value comes when we do. Real value comes when we obey. Again, we're seeing this word, and. As you receive all of these things, as you put them into practice, Paul's saying the same thing again now. And the peace of God will be with you. You see, I think we've, we've, been, we've been told too much, perhaps, that everything is free in the kingdom. I want to tell you it's not. Getting in is free. Salvation is free. Justification is free. But remember a couple of weeks back, we covered justification and sanctification. Again, what Paul's talking about here is some of our sanctification. As we renew our minds, as we become transformed by the renewing of our minds, as we put into practice the things that we've learned, as we are intentional about rejoicing, about being gentle, about um, not accepting anxiety, but by prayer and supplication, lifting everything to the Lord, as we do all of these things, we receive a peace. As we live a life of practical gospel obedience, means that we're putting into practice what we've learned, the peace of God comes to us. See, these things are somewhat conditional. It's conditional on you doing certain things. You see, when, you, when you're living a life stuck in a negative neural pathway, the peace of God's not going to come and interrupt that pathway until you choose to renew your mind. When you choose to renew your mind, when you choose to do all of the things that the Scripture's telling us to do, that's when the peace of God comes. See, many things in the kingdom 
are not free. It's conditional upon what you do. It's conditional upon you putting into practice the things that you hear, that you learn, that you observe, that you receive. And it's as you do these things that we then receive the peace of God. And so what, what Paul's almost saying here is in, in a context with a lack of obedience, there will be a lack of peace. Anyone ever experienced that other than me? You know Holy Spirit's guiding you to do something and you don't obey? What happens straight away? Peace lifts. See, it's as we do all of these things that the peace of Christ comes. It governs, it rules in our lives. Remember that river analogy from two weeks ago? That there's blessings flowing down the river. We're standing in the river and there's blessings flowing down the river. And we, we need to, as Paul said, consider everything loss for the sake of Christ. Meaning we need to let go of the stuff of life. Let the river wash it downstream. That when the blessings come down the river, that we can grab hold of them. That we can hold on to what God is giving us. See, peace is a little bit like that. It's, it's about being in His presence, positioning ourselves in the river. It's about standing firm in the river, that we're leaning in. Because if we're not leaning in, well, the, the river's going to wash us downstream. No, we're standing firm. We're leaning into the Lord. We're letting go of the worldly things that are not going to blow us away downstream. We're grabbing hold of the blessing. We're taking hold of Jesus that we might gain Christ, that we might be found in Him, that we might be living as heavenly citizens. Won't you stand? This is the time of year where we get to process what's happened in the year past and we start to look at the year ahead. And I know many of us have lived a life this year that's been bombarded with anxiety, with stress, with the heaviness of life. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come to the front. If you've had what we call mental torment, meaning your, your brain, you just feel like you've been tormented by, by evil thoughts, by lies, by fear, by worry, by anxiety. If that's you, I want to I want to break that off of you this morning. And so if you've, if you've lived a life of, of anxiety and you feel like you just haven't been able to conquer it, I want to invite you to come up to the front and we're going we're gonna to ask the Lord to lift that off of you. I know that there's many of you. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to invite our ministry team to come up to the front as well. See, peace is something that's valuable and it needs to be guarded. It needs to be protected. And we don't want it having any influence on our lives. Because the, the stress, the anxiety, the heaviness of life it wants to rob you of the very things that Christ has for you. 
And I don't want anyone to be robbed of the blessing of Christ. I want you to receive the fullness of what God has for you. So if you're in the front here, I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord. As you're standing there, if there's something that you need to repent of, if you need to let go of something, if you need to consider something lost and let it go and let it be washed downstream, then give that to Jesus now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't give as the world gives, but you say, my peace I give to you. For each one standing here this morning, thank you, Jesus, that your promise is that your peace you give to them. And so we speak to the mental torment. We say, we see you and we rebuke you. Be gone. Be gone. And in place of that torment, in place of that anxiety, in place of that stress, that heaviness, thank you, Jesus, that your peace comes. Thank you, your your peace that's beyond our understanding just comes and washes over, floods every heart, every mind, every soul. Thank you, Lord. Every cell of our bodies being filled with your peace. Thank you for ministering peace to each one right now. Thank you that as your peace comes, that we intentionally choose to rejoice, to be gentle, to just give anxiety no space in our lives. And so anxiety, we say, we see you and we rebuke you. You're not from the Lord and we do not accept you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you will fill each one of us, that we will renew our minds, that we'll be filled with godly thoughts, that your peace will protect our hearts and our minds, that we will live a life of continually rejoicing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Holy Spirit, will you help us to do this? Help us to live a life of honor, of praise towards your name, that we will truly stand firm, standing firm in you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you need prayer for anything else, our ministry teams up front, they're going to be ministering to those that have responded and are asking the Lord just to Break off that anxiety. If you're responding in the front end, if you're sitting at home, wherever you might be, remember there's some conditional things that you need to do. You need to put into practice certain things. And as you do those things, the peace of God will come. But I also believe that God is going to give us a supernatural reset this morning that is going to just nudge things back into alignment and that the peace is going to come right now that I won't be waiting for you to do all of these things, but there's a peace that comes right now. And then from that place of peace, you're able to continue to live and walk in peace. So if you need prayer for anything else, ministry team will be up front here. Otherwise, thanks for joining us from 
at home. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week, Sunday at 9 a.m. as well. There's tea, coffee downstairs. God bless you as you leave. And uh, ministry team, you can go ahead, pray for these folk as they, as they need prayer. If you responded, then come and, uh, come and get some prayer as well from the ministry team. God bless you.